We're going to be challenged in the music ministry next week in our text. Uh, we're getting into some, some uh, of the biblical importance of what goes on uh, with music, worship ministry. And so if you want to read ahead in next chapter, uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, you'll see some of that. But today we're in Nehemiah chapter 11. So take your Bibles. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 11, continuing through the book of Nehemiah. And so... Uh, as you are turning there, I just want to uh, let our care group know, tonight we are meeting at the Quinn's residence, and uh, it's at 4194 Disco Path Road. Disco Path Road, 4194 Disco Path Road, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. And the theme is American Night, in honor of the Olympics, American Night. So come patriotic, make a patriotic dish. I will be wearing my uh, Michael Phelps outfit. Uh, the the gold. Not what were y'all think? No, no. Please, no. You know our rule around here: no speedos allowed. Please. Sorry for that image. Anyway, but who's been watching the Olympics? You guys been? Man, it's. it's I mean, if that doesn't get you blood going, as far as you know, just being proud to be an American. It's a, it's a good time. I. I enjoy, enjoy the Olympics very much. Well, let's take a look uh, in chapter 11. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. We will not read this whole text. There are a lot of names. I don't want to butcher those names. So therefore, I'm not going to read them out loud. <laughs> but please, read them on your own. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Father, I pray that you will bless this morning the teaching of your word. As we look through Nehemiah chapter 11 and unpack this text, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. I pray that you will challenge our hearts, that all of those listening, whether here uh, via the live feed or via the radio broadcast, Lord, be glorified, be made much of. Draw us near to you in response, as we are not to be just hearers of the word, but we are to be doers. Give us application this morning as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know what you're thinking. Don't don't get excited. Man, he read two verses. We're going to be out of here early. (laughs) Y'all know me better than that. Um... We are going to try and cover the whole chapter this morning, okay? So we're going to give that, we're going to give that a Boy Scout go. Um, and so we are Nehemiah 11, 1 through 36. Today's message is entitled, Step Out by Stepping Up. Step Out by Stepping Up. You know, sometimes as Christians, uh, we are challenged to get out of our comfort zone. That is going to be a theme of this message this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit will nudge your heart, will challenge you to get out of your comfort zone. Because, gang, I can go ahead and tell you, the church of Jesus Christ has not been built because we stayed comfortable and because we stayed within our four walls and it was our four and no more. If we're going to make an impact in this world for the cause of Christ, we're going to have to get beyond where our comfort level is. So we've got to do that. So with that said up front, let's take a look in the Word of God, and we're going to see uh, some examples of this in today's text. Actually, before I go there, those of you who who own your own businesses, those of you who practice business, you you can kind of understand this. Let me give you an illustration. You know, sometimes a a company has to take risk. Did you know at one time the phone company, Nokia, made boots and cables? Boots. Anybody own any? No, probably don't want to raise your hand if you own any Nokia boots. David, do you own any? No. By the way, good to have the O'Hara's back with us today, coming through. 
Yes, thank you for that, that, that hand clap there. David appreciates that, I'm sure. Nokia made boots and cables, but they risked their comfort zone and ventured into the wireless cell phone industry. Hmm. They believed one day each person on the planet would own a cell phone. <laughs> I'd say that risk paid off, didn't it? At one point, they eventually became the largest mobile phone company. Any, any weightlifters in the house? Dustin, let's see that. Oh, okay. Any, any weightlifters? Well, I don't need to raise your hand. Uh, a weightlifter, though, understands this. Um, Randy understands this. See, she's, she's a physical trainer. She can tell you these things. Um, when a person is lifting weights, in order to get their muscles well-defined, they've got to push themselves beyond the comfort zone. You've heard the saying, no pain. Ah, so you have heard that. You know, I have a philosophy too. My, my slogan is, pain, are you insane? That's, yeah, that's sort of mine at the gym, right? It starts to hurt, man, I'm done. All right, we're done. We're moving to the next rep. Now, that didn't happen until I was 40. So some of you young guys better hit it hard while you can. But uh, you, you understand the concept. Sometimes we have to stretch ourselves. And when we study the Word of God, there are times when we are confronted that we need to go beyond the comfort zone and trust Him. You know, I think when it comes to the Scriptures, our comfort zone as believers could be defined almost as a sin nature. Somebody playing Pong? Now's not the time. What was that? So, God wants us to get out of our comfort zone. Romans 12, 1 and 2, reminds us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I imagine for... A lot of us, we know this verse, we can quote this verse, but we've never really come to the point of an exchanged life that Paul's calling for in Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, I would venture to guess in good old America, we have grown somewhat complacent as Christians. We like our comforts. And when Paul talks about presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, that's going to require pain. That's going to require dying to self. And let's just be honest, we don't want to die to self. We want to pamper self, right? Guys, we've got to, if we're going to, if we're going to fulfill the call in our life, if we're going to fulfill the mission God's called us to, we're going to have to make some decisions. We're going to have to make some sacrifices. We're going to have to be willing to lay our life down for the cause of Christ. Well, let's take a look at a quote from A.W. Tozer. Complacency. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. If I ask you, do you want to grow spiritually? Most of us say, yeah, I want to grow spiritually. Who, who doesn't? We've got to recognize what's standing in our way. This is our enemy. This is our enemy. Complacency. Well, this is no stranger to the people in the Old Testament. In fact, we know what's happened up to this point. We know that they've been in exile. We know that the Israelites have been uh, scattered throughout the land under the Babylonian captivity. Uh, the northern part was let out under the Assyrian assault. Now they're still under the oppression of the Medo-Persian rule, but at least at this point in history, the king is somewhat sympathetic to the Jewish people and has allowed them back into the land. In fact, his cupbearer, Nehemiah, has approached him and has been given permission and he's gone into the land and in a record 52 days has reassembled the walls. 
Think about where we are in chapter 11. Think about what has happened up to chapter 11. We've already had in the book of Ezra the temple built. Now we have the walls going up. They've had Sambalat and Tobiah, the enemy, trying to slow down progress. They've had a little bit of uh, turmoil within, and, and they've dealt with that. Nehemiah, under his leadership, has really uh, set things in order. God's people have been broken in their sin. They have been repentant. They have moved beyond complacency to the point of surrendering all, and they're willing to do whatever it takes for the namesake of, of God. And so we see this here in this passage of Scripture. As we go through this today, and we're going to try and go through the whole thing, just hitting uh, parts along the way, there are three different groups that uh, we're going to look at in this passage this morning. I know there's many others, but we're going to categorize it into three groups. The first group that we're going to look at is those with leadership gifts. Those with leadership gifts. Notice if you would... It starts off at, uh, in, in verse 1, Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. And we're going to stop there because I have this to say to Community Baptist Church. Leadership starts with us. Leadership starts with us. And so if you're here, you're, you're a deacon, you're a Sunday school teacher, you're Wherever you're serving in a role of leadership, and you know who you are, I have my department heads, all of my department leaders, if you want something to be done, it starts with you, gang. We have to lead by example. The leaders in Jerusalem's day, think about what we learned back in Nehemiah chapter 7. They, had completed the, they were completing the walls, but they looked around and they realized the city was empty. There was nobody there to occupy the city. Now, why is this a problem? Well, a city that's fairly empty, number one, isn't easily defended. They knew they had real enemies that were willing to attack at any given moment. So one of the things Nehemiah recognized, they needed to populate the city. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he puts together the plan, and this is the plan that's to be presented. And of course, Nehemiah knew that unless the leadership is willing to execute the plan, then you can't expect the followers to follow. Right? You know, you know why I show up for Bible study? Not just because you pay me for it. No. I would show up to Wednesday night Bible study whether you were paying me. Don't, don't take that to the bank. But anyway, but I remember going on our honeymoon. My wife and I, we were in Banff, Canada. Anybody been to Banff, Canada? Dude, you need to go. It's like the Canadian Rockies is beautiful. Don't recommend the wintertime. You may be under an avalanche. But in the summer, amazing. So that's where we went for our honeymoon. And I'll never forget, it was Wednesday night, newly married couple, and we wanted to go find a worship service to attend on our honeymoon. And, and I know, that's weird. We're, we were weird like that. And, um, and so we looked through the yellow pages, and there was no Baptist churches. <laughs> there was a lot of other churches, but uh, I didn't have my own smoke-swinging thing or robes or funny hats, so I didn't go to those. But we did find one that said Baptistic in doctrine. Oh, okay, well, that's, 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 that's us. So we went, and it was a Wednesday night Bible study, and I remember at the end of the, of the Bible study time, there were several folks who came up to greet us and welcome us and, you know, where are you from and that kind of stuff. And, and so we told them, and they well, what are you doing in Banff? And we told them we're on our honeymoon. And I'll never forget the, the Bible study leader, but this young, I, I think he was a young Christian standing there, he goes, What? So you're telling me you guys are on your honeymoon and you came to Bible study on Wednesday night? I'm like, yeah. And they thought that was strange. And then the guy said, uh, he said, well, how did you, why did you choose our church of all the churches? And I said, well, we, we saw that y'all were Baptistic in doctrine. And I'll never forget, the guy goes, looks at his pastor and he goes, we're Baptists? <laughs> and I knew I'd like got somebody in trouble because he was like, well, I mean, we're, we're Baptistic in doctrine. Yes, we are. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, but anyways, it was, it was, uh, uh, quite to say the, the adventure, but, uh, but again, the point is this guys, we, um, as leaders, sometimes we've got to lead by example. I come to Wednesday night Bible study because I want to lead by example. How can I expect you to come to Wednesday night Bible study if I, as a leader, am not willing to come? I and mean, you understand the connection there? It would be a bit hypocritical if, if I expected you to do something, but I'm not expected to do it. 
as a leader. I know, I'm meddling. So anyways, let's move on. Leadership starts with us. That's the point. So, uh, if you notice in verse 1, leadership starts with us. Notice what happened with the rest of the people. The leaders of the people, they, the rest of the people, they cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem. One out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem. Now you say, wait a minute, what's going on here, preacher? Well, let's see if we can explain this. So you've got these leaders who step forward and say, yes, we'll move into the city. We'll bring our families into the city because we understand the importance of the work that's going on here. But then you had others, the rest of the people, and let's just be honest, they weren't quite sold on it. So what do they do? Come on, baby, give me a seven, come eleven. <laughs> they rolled dice. No, they rolled a die, all right? And it would be numbered one to ten on it, all right? It's like the price is right. Um, one out of ten. And your family would have to step to the plate and take a roll. Now, this practice is not uncommon in the Old Testament. In fact, as you look through the scriptures, you will find many times where they use the casting of lots, as it's called, to determine God's will. Proverbs 18, 18 says, casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. Now, I know this to be true because, you know, in my household, I'm going to pick on my kids for a second. This is one of those moments that makes my wife really nervous. Kids, tell daddy, what happens when you guys can't agree on something? What does dad tell you you have to do to solve it? What is that again? Flip a coin or what's the other one? Rock, paper, scissors. Good answer, guys. Good job. Yeah, because daddy ain't going to stand here and fight all day with these kids and try to reason with them at this age. Sometimes I'll reason afterwards. And so I let them in the moment of the heat of the moment. I say, okay, guys, stop it. We're going to flip a coin. Or are you going to rock, paper, scissors? Because the, even the casting of the lot <laughs> belongs to the Lord. All right, we solved that problem. Look, in this day, in the Old Testament, a lot of times to prevent the contention, they would cast lots. Proverbs 16, 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You know, we see this even in the New Testament. You remember what happened after Judas had exited, stage left? Who stepped in to fill his spot? Matthias. And how did they determine Matthias? Casting of Lot. Now, I'm not implying that we need to go out and buy some dice and, you know, start playing dice. That's not what I'm saying. But I am just stating that in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we see that this was a common practice amongst the Jewish people and that they, they were at peace with the answer because they believe a sovereign God is in control of all things. They needed to populate the city. How were they going to do that? They cast lots. Now imagine for a second, where's Lori this morning? She's in the nursery. Surprise, surprise, because she needs nursery workers. And when there's not a nursery worker, Lori has to go do it, right? We're going to let Lori cast lot, let these families. All right, all y'all step up. We're going to roll the dice this morning. If it lands on you, you're going to do the nursery. Some of you folks are like, I ain't playing that game. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> One out of ten remains. <laughs> you know. so, but, but gang, again, when there was a need, this was what they did. But notice what the text says. And I think this is very important. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in Jerusalem other cities, and those would have been the outskirts, the surrounding cities, and the people blessed all the men who willingly, willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. There were those in the midst who were willing to offer 
themselves. Are you willing? I mean, imagine what it was like for these families. Guys, they're asking them to, to, to uproot from where they are, wherever their family was, their home, their possessions, their farmland, whatever, because they're an agricultural society. They were, they were basically saying, I am willing to give up all of this to go and live in the city. What motivates someone to take that sort of decision, make that sort of decision, to have that kind of priority in their life? i tell you what it is. They are God-centered. They are Romans 12, 1 and 2. They are surrendered. And let's just be real for a moment. I can't say we're there, are we? Let's think about the IMN study that we've been doing for Sunday school. And we look at the Iraqi refugees, these Syrian refugees, these believers that have been displaced. They left everything for the cause of Christ. Because they refuse to pay. They refuse to pay with their life. They refuse to follow and submit to Islam, radical Islam. So instead, they stand for what they believe. Their life in Christ is more important than anything else they know. Their life in Christ is more vital than any possession they have. That's why they are motivated. That's why these people that are willing to submit themselves are doing so. They've experienced revival. They've had a biblical revival in Nehemiah. Remember the brokenness. Remember how they've, they've robed themselves in sackcloth. They've been crying out. There's this repentance that's taken place in their heart. God is at the center of their life. And we can't get nursery workers. Wow. Are you willing to live outside your normal boundaries? I, I know, gang, listen, this is not... Let me just say this right quick, because I know how the enemy works, and he'll take you down this road real quick. This is not a message to guilt you. But if the Holy Spirit convicts you, praise be to God, and you better listen. My goal is not to guilt anyone here. That is not the goal. We are in Nehemiah chapter 11 at a very given day when we need workers. So take it up with him. Here's what we do find. We find here in the text that uh, these... Notice here in, uh, in verse 3, these are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. So you've got the heads of the province. These are probably tribal leaders. Uh, these are, we find out as we read on down, that these are, well, let's just go ahead and read out the rest of that. Uh, but in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities. Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. Verse 4, also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. So you got two major groups going on here, those of Benjamin, those of Judah living there in the area. But these, these uh, tribal leaders, the heads of the province, um, these are, you see, we'll find through this list of names, military men, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, civil and royal servants. These are those who, who are dwelling there in Jerusalem. Uh, the notable men, their families, uh, they took a lead by choosing to settle in Jerusalem, setting a good example for God's people. We see that those in Judah, they dwelt in their own possession. Let me start there. Leadership starts in the home. Leadership starts in the home. Where does God have you? Wherever God has you, that's where we should be Christ-centered. And so we see this example in God's people here in the Old Testament. What kind of people do we see? And we're going to kind of unpack some of these guys and some of these characteristics. Notice in verse 4, again, we see that uh, these were children of Judah and children of Benjamin. Now, who came from the line of Judah? Say again? VBS answer? Jesus. Thank you. You're allowed to do that. 
in, 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 this, in this interactive study. Um, we find that uh, he is of the line of Judah. We also see that the, uh, who, are, who are some of the children of Benjamin? Old Testament? Saul? And what about New Testament? Give you a clue. I just said his name. <laughs> Saul. Right? Both Saul's, Old Testament and New Testament, through the, through the line of Benjamin. There's a lot of other names, obviously, mentioned there. But you know, here's an example. When you think of, of Saul of Tarsus and, and all of his wicked deeds before he became Paul, and being in that line of Benjamin, and then you think of, of Judah and his line and, and lineage, and you, and you think of Christ, the king, and kind of runs the gamut, right? You know what that tells me? It tells me that uh, God's desire is to use us all. These were valiant men. Notice verse 5 and 6. I won't read through those names, just scan through there. And then verse 6, All the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. You may want to circle that, valiant men. You know, the key on that passage is focusing on one person's name. Perez. Anybody know who Perez was? Who remembers their Old Testament? Talk about Judah's line. Well, you can go back into Genesis. I won't bore you with the story, though it's not a boring story. It would be actually a great movie to be made. But anyway, he uh, ends up, if you read the story, how uh, Judah ends up having uh, relations with his, I think it's his daughter-in-law. Uh, but anyway, the, there's twins, and uh, of the two twins, uh, one of them is Perez. Perez is the one, remember, the lady ties the string onto the firstborn's arm who's coming out, but then Perez, whoop! pulls himself through and comes out first, and he was considered valiant. Interesting. A little word study. I may have butchered that. Go back and check it. Always, you know what I say. Don't take what I say. Take what the Scripture says. I seek to represent it well, but uh, that's, that one's by memory, so memory's not always the best. All right? But it's a neat little story. But I find it interesting that you see here, mentioned in that same paragraph, that these men, these descendants through that lineage, were known as valiant men. Then you see the sons of Benjamin. So we change gears here, and, and uh, we want to look at those with administrative gifts next. And we'll see those in verses 7 on through uh, 16. Uh, you will see... Such, uh, such with the administrative gift. Let's take a look at these overseers, verse 7 through 9. And these are the sons of Benjamin. He lists a bunch of names, and you find in verse, uh, in, in verse 9, Joel, and son of Zechari, was the overseer. And Judah, the son of Sanoah, was second over the city. These were folks who had administrative gifts. Now, new members, potential new members. Exciting news for you. When you come through our new members class, you will take the spiritual gifts inventory quiz. This is one of the things you do. Some of you have been through my class going, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, it's like uh, 108 questions. <laughs> you thought you were out of school, didn't you? I don't want to be in the new members class. I'm not feeling it. Yes, please. You know what? I find most Christians in the church in America have no clue what their spiritual gift is. And listen, if that's you, it's, it's okay for now, <laughs> but don't stay there. You need to know what your spiritual gift is. Because God didn't give you a gift for you to just sit on and not use. Alright? He gifted you for the sake of the body of Christ. That you can encourage and build up and edify one another and do the work of the ministry. So if you're not using that which God has given you, that's, uh, that's like Michael Phelps not swimming. I mean, you know, I know it's a little different kind of giftedness there. But, but I mean, really, come on, why, why would you do that? God Almighty has invested into you a spiritual gift, not a talent, a spiritual gift from on high, and we're not using it? So we want to help you uh, discover what that spiritual gift is. Um, we find these gifts listed in, in Romans 12. We find these in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. You're going to talk a little bit about that tonight in your care groups, so please uh, take some time to be there. 
But we see here that these administrative gifts of oversight, which, by the way, an administrator, as defined by the little study we're going to ask you to do, uh, the administrator is the spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God by organizing. Praise God for organizers. <laughs> uh, and um, administering, promoting, leading the various business of the church. There's some examples of what administrators do. We have administrators in our midst. You guys know and fully understand. Thank the Lord for administrators. Well, notice here in the text what we find. Notice 10 through verses 10 through 14. Here's some listings of the priests. And you'll skip down. It says, uh, Zadok, son of Marioth, the son of Ahitub, was the, not Ahitub, uh, was the leader of the house of God. Their brethren, verse 12, their brethren who did the work of the house were 822. Skip down to verse 13. And his brethren, heads of the father's houses, and skip down to 14, mighty men of valor. Skip down a little further. Their overseer was Zabedal, the son of one of the great men. We get a glimpse at who were these people. Because, let me just say this, there is no position within the body of Christ that's a position that's not important. We don't even know these names. We can't even pronounce these names. But look at the label that God puts upon them. Can I tell you, if you are serving in any capacity within the body of Christ, You are serving in a great work. You are mighty men and women. You are valiant, especially in a day in which we live that puts so little emphasis. In fact, there's much disdain for those Christians. But that's not how your father sees you. Guys, this ought to help us understand our identity. Our identity is in Christ. And it's not in what we do. But Christ has given us the ability to do for Him. And that is something we must do. We see workers of the house. We see heads of the homes. Fathers. Mighty men of valor. Sons. Great men. These are some of the terms used. We see in verse 16 that oversight of business outside the house of God. Look at that verse verse 16. down towards the bottom portion, had the oversight of the business outside of the house of God. Now, again, that's probably an emphasis upon the maintenance. I mean, this has been built, but look, gang, you own a home, you own a business, you're in a church. You know things must be maintained. There were folks who helped to maintain. They were leaders in that department. There's much to be done here at Community Baptist Church. Will you be one of those leaders? So, the last point that I want to look at today in this text, those with serving gifts. And we'll basically follow from 17 to the end of the chapter. And notice what you find here in verse 17. You see that there are prayer warriors. We'll start there. Notice verse 17, the leader who began thanksgiving, Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer. By the way, as you go through here, there are a couple of names. Obviously, you may recognize that. There's a couple of names here that are mentioned often in the Psalms. And these are their descendants. In fact, uh, under the the leadership of David, uh, he often wrote, and you'll see a lot of times when you're starting uh, into one of the psalm passages, it'll tell you that it was written by Asaph, right? And so uh, we see their descendants here. And what was their responsibility? Everything from, from prayer warriors 
prayers of thanksgiving. You also see uh, in the next verse, if I can get the gatekeepers. By the way, this is, I mentioned somebody this morning, uh, Mark Gentry's out there doing security. Do you know security guards are here in the, in, see, this is biblical. We're being biblical. The gatekeepers. That was like the Old Testament. You know, Mark Gentry's walking out there with a, you know, yep, check, check. Now, they didn't have the walkie-talkies, but they were responsible at the gates to guard the gates. They were also responsible for keeping the city safe. And so these were uh, also, too, they could have been, you know, like our ushers. If you're ushing, man, you're like a gatekeeper. Ush on. That's what I say. Ush. We also see the worship team. Uh, again, look in the scripture. You see 17, you see 19, the gatekeepers. You see 22. Go down to verse 22. You'll see uh, the sons of Asaph. There's that name again. The singers in charge of the service of the house of God. We're going to get into, like I said, next chapter, an emphasis on music and why worship and the service that's put forth via the choir, the praise team, these are important aspects, the prayer that takes place before the proclamation of the word. Now, as Protestants, we, we recognize, thank you, Martin Luther, we uh, return to biblical uh, preaching. That is the apex of what we do here. The word of God being taught is at the forefront. But praise the Lord for music and the ministry of music that leads us in heart preparation for the proclamation of the Word. And I'm, I'm excited, our, our missionaries who were in last week, the Tituses, commented to how it was so encouraging to hear the progress in the praise team in such a short time. They were really, had lots to say in the way of, we are blessed to have the worship team that we have. Now, with that said, I've already spoken uh, to, to, to others, and, and, and they know the, the deacons know my emphasis. Guys, uh, we've got to get the choir going again. And many of you out there that have been a part of the choir, um, you better start dusting off the old singing voice, okay? Because we need the choir, all right? Um, so just know that these things are, and we wanted to get you acclimated. You're getting acclimated to the praise team. And that's great, but we still need to feature the diversity of worship style we are blessed with. The quartet is going to begin to try and practice again and get that going. We need to feature these types of things because guess what? You know what I learned? I love ice cream. I know, I love ice cream. What's my favorite, Faith? Vanilla. That's my girl. She knows me. But Lucas... What do you like? Chocolate. That's my chocolate kid right there. Karis, what are you digging? Strawberry? A little bit of everything. She likes it all. Guys, guess what? Music's that same way. We all have preferences. We all have preferences. You know what kills me? is those who, who, who think it's only this kind and no other. This kind and no other. This kind and no other. Then you go out and crank their car up and they're listening to the country station. Okay. God has blessed us with diversity. Look around the globe. Look around at creation. Look at the beauty on display. You really think God's going to narrow it down to one style only? Come on. You know what? We're blessed in this church. We have a lot of talented musicians. We have a lot of different styles of singing in, in that area. Let's embrace it. Let's share it. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to have diverse people come through these doors to visit. And God very well may use that given Sunday to bless a heart, to encourage someone. But at the end of the day, it's not about us. Glory to God. And I think He's most glorified when we are celebrating those, those talents that He's given us and using them in worship. So these are some areas of serving gifts. Again, just, just so we'll look through. And, and, and I don't want to confuse talent and spiritual gifts. We're going to get into that and somewhat of a discussion tonight in your small groups. But also for those of you coming through the new members class, we'll talk more in detail on that. But notice what you see here also in this text that I think is very applicable for us in the church today. We see here in Nehemiah's day, verse 23, that this was the, for it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers, a quota day by day, 
And uh, Pethahiah, the son of Meshazabel, uh, of the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. Andy Griffith and Barney are here in the Old Testament. I knew I loved that show. See, it's biblical. Okay, that's a stretch. Big time. But... Here's what I do want us to see here, because I think this is important. What we see here, and it's reiterated in the New Testament, is that when it comes to the house of God, when it comes to the things of God, it's to be done decently and in order. Right? There is a hierarchy, if you will, under God. There is an established uh, pecking order of authority. Yes, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Yes, in our creation, we are all created in the image of God, and our value and our worth is the same. Male, female, parents, children. But guess what? Let the children run your household and see what happens. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. You'll be eating M&Ms for breakfast. Well, we kind of do that some days anyway. But um, it just won't go well. God has established order. And this is part of what our problem is in the country today, guys. There's no respect for authority. There's no understanding of order. There's a cry that the system's corrupt, and it very well may be, but understand this. Romans 13 tells us very clear that God is the one who's established authority. So to rebel against that given authority is to rebel against God. I don't know who you're voting, and I'm not going to go politicking on you here, but I will say this. Whoever the president ends up being, we have a responsibility to submit up under as long as what they are telling us doesn't go against God. If it goes against God, then we need to be like Daniel. and We need to be like Peter and John. Who am I to obey? God or man? You be the judge. But we still have a responsibility, right? And so we see here, even under a pagan king, they were submissive in the authority. Well, moving on from that real quick. um, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 uh, make it clear, every believer has at least one spiritual gift that has been given to be used. We are saved to serve. We are saved to serve. Well, let's conclude here. So what about it? What do we find here in conclusion? It's not a matter of does God want you involved in His work. It's not a matter of if God wants you to be involved in His work. It's a matter of where. Did you all get that? Well, preacher, I've I've served. I'm going to let the younger folks serve. I don't find that in Scripture. Now, you may take a different position. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of where. Yes, I fully understand. I appreciate the wisdom of some of my older folks who recognize when it is time to move into another position. That's wisdom. But we all have an area in which we can serve. You know what gets me when I go and do my shut-in visits, and a lot of times folks feel at that point they're, they're just no, no real use to the, to the church anymore, and they feel, uh, you know, like it's, you know, what, what was me? And I'm thinking, you've got to understand, and I try to help them understand that they're just in a differing chapter within the body of Christ, but they're a vital part of the body of Christ. I need intercessory prayer going 24-7 for the work of this ministry. We need people on their knees, or if you can't get on your knees, at least lay on your back in your bed and pray, right? I mean, we can do an area of ministry no matter where we are. Our children, our homeschool group, when they go out and hand out the the, uh, invites and the baskets and the different things that they do at at the various homes in the area, they're ministering. It doesn't matter that they're six years old, seven years old. Man, that's awesome. Not a matter of if. It's a matter of where. So where are you going to serve, Christian? We see here in Nehemiah chapter 11, God was asking for people to be willing. And some weren't. And they were drafted. By the way, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Voluntary draft. That's that's like an oxymoron. But, no doubt, some of them 
were drafted. Don't wait and be one that God ends up putting his finger on, okay, um, and, and, and puts the pressure on. Be willing. Well, question for you. Where are you serving? Where are you serving? You know, as a believer, you're a citizen. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We must be willing to proclaim His praises. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Christians were told in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Where? Are you serving? Will you be willing? God desires all His people to serve for His namesake. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says this. You can turn there if you want or you can listen. For you see your calling, brethren that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing. The things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There is no small jobs here, church. There are no small people. To God be the glory. He has given you a gift. He desires for you to use it for his namesake. And I don't care how young, I don't care how old, you can serve in the body of Christ. There is a place for you. And if God calls you to that place, be willing. Be willing. You know, I remember back in my unsaved days when I was a little, little more adventurous or reckless, whichever you want to call it. I remember working on the cruise line and a bunch of us, uh, a lot of the diver staff and myself decided we wanted to go skydiving. So... One day when we were in port, we set it up and we went over to Titusville, Florida. And they had this take you up in a plane 13,000 feet above Florida and you could jump out of a perfectly good plane. And I remember going in and, and uh, you know, we, you had the class and you had to go in and you got some training. 45 minutes of it. And so then they gave you the equipment. They equipped you on, on how to do this. And, and I remember they taking us up in the plane. And, and uh, I, I've got the video. I just got to move it from VHS. Some of y'all don't know what those are. There's these big tapes. But anyway, we got to uh, try to move that over to digital. But, but they took us up in this plane, 13,000 feet above Titusville, Florida. And you can just see, you know, just, man, this is crazy. And, and, and I remember I was at the front. You know, little door opened up. Now I had one job. One job and one job only. Jump. And I was strapped to a guy who was going to do all the work. All I had to do was hold on for dear life. And I did that well. And I'll never forget, I grabbed those doors, and just like they taught us, rock, one, two, three. And I was out. And I'm going to tell you, the hardest part of that adventure was the first step. But once I leaped, man, what a ride. Now, praise the Lord, the guy behind me uh, knew what he was doing. And uh, we, were, we were able to land safely on the ground. And why do I share that story? 
Christian, you may not feel equipped. It's okay. It's okay. God has this. He's given you the means. You've got the equipment. He's given it to you. He's got you. I think the hardest part for you, Christian, is you just have to know that you are tandem attached to Christ. And all he's asking for you to do is take that first step. He's got this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that uh, as we reflect upon the people of Nehemiah's day and, and the need for folks to step in and take on responsibilities in various areas throughout the city, and even where they were, because not everyone was to move there. And Lord, I recognize not everyone necessarily needs to move into one specific area of ministry here at Community. But you've got an area. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of where. And so Lord, I I just pray that, that you will move on hearts. You know our needs. You know the people that you have here. You know where you're calling them. You know how you've equipped them. And so Lord, I ask that you will have your will and your way in this moment of response in this time of invitation. And Lord, I want to pray also in closing that if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, we want to offer them a gift, and that is the gift of your Son. I pray that they understand that the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are no perfect people here but we are thankful to serve a perfect Savior. And it's because of His grace, it's because of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have access to the throne room. We can stand forgiven, clothed in not our righteousness, but the righteousness that Christ offers. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to respond by repenting of your sin and turning to the only one who can save you. And that's Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. And if by faith you will receive Him, He says He'll make you a child of the King. Would you do that this morning? And Father, again, I just ask that you move on hearts to respond how you would have them to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.